Hello, welcome. This is the Spatial Navigator podcast brought to you by Nanostring. As the pioneer in the field of spatial biology, Nanostring enables scientists to see the multiomic expression of genes and proteins in the natural context of tissue structure. In this podcast series, we present the work that researchers are doing in the field and share initiatives to engage and support them. Hello, and welcome to a new episode of the Spatial Navigator podcast. Today, we share with you a conversation recording during the Society for Immunotherapy of Cancer meeting between Will Howard, Vice President of Validation and Technical Quality at AFCAM, and Alisa Rosenblum, Associate Director of Research Proteomics in Nanostream. Tune in and learn how the AFCAM antibodies are validated in-house and how specific they are for spatial biology applications with the Geomics IO Proteome Atlas Panel. Will, how does AFCAM validate their IHC-compatible antibodies? Specifically, how does AFCAM ensure IHC antibodies are specific and sensitive for the target they're intended to bind? You know, how we validate antibodies, we've been doing it the same way for many years. You know, so we've got this, that's why the portfolio is the size it is, because right. we've been doing it the same way. You know, we start off, obviously, by immunizing rabbits. They're all rabbit monoclonals. They go right. through that process, right? Mm-hmm. The important part of that is getting IHC into FFP, so we're going into tissue microwaves as soon as we can. So, you know, you come out of that immunization process, you have thousands of possible clones. You screen those down mm-hmm. until you have a reasonable, often 100 or so clones that you're then... Right thinking might be specific or sensitive for that mm-hmm. marker, right? And you're then going to screen them. So we then take a tissue microarray approach, FFPE, multiple, tumor or normal, right. often mouse and rat. It kind of depends on what marker yeah. we're really looking for. But you know, exactly. that, Where's it going to be posi- clear positive and where's it going to be a clear negative? Exactly. And we know what it's going to be. We know whether it's going to be a nuclear marker right. or a cell surface or whatever it might be. Yeah. So we kind of go into that first and so we can then pull out what we think is probably the most likely clone. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we'll be lucky. We'll get, oh, that's the one. It's got the best uh, signal to noise. Mm-hmm best sensitivity, and then we go through the process all over again. So that's that kind of screening process down from 100 down to that perfect one and bring that into a full validation stream. And that full validation stream then is, if I remember right, 17 different cancer Yeah, I've noticed that over the time that your extra validation that you're doing on the back end has increased a lot. Like we're seeing a lot more knockout work. We're seeing a lot more multiple tissue work. We see secondary only negative controls. We see more negative control tissues. It's really been great to see it all kind of amplify. Yeah, and so it's it's kind of dependent on the target and where Mm -hmm. we have got a knockout, we'll absolutely put it Oh, that's great. And that gives us that kind of added value Mm -hmm. and confidence really that is definitely being in that specific area. Yes. Um, But I mean, even if we're going down our tissue microarray route, mm-hmm. again, we know that it's going to be prostate cancer, or it's going to be breast cancer, right. or whatever it might be. So we then do that either in a tissue microarray, always FFPE, always high quality mm-hmm. tissue, not, you know, working through into normal tissue, etc. So that we can then go through a whole titration stream. Right. So that we can work out you know, where the best signal to noise lands, and we do that on a on an automated platform, right? And work our way through, and so then it always then comes out with the same validation stream, right? So yeah, it's, if we can get a good <laughs> positive negative control in right. there, being it whether that's cell specific or we can do overexpressors, etc. So we will try and do that probably usually in the kind of earlier phase. And then when you've got phospho-specific antibodies, you're doing additional validation yeah. to make sure that's phospho-specific. Yeah. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, so we'll do an alkaline phosphatase test, so we'll on section, so mm-hmm. we'll, we'll do alkphos, we'll knock it out. So it's phospho-specific in right. the sense we know it's definitely a phospho. Exactly. Right. 
So it's not, you know, we're not going to the level of it we know is at fossil two to nine, whatever. Right, but be. you know that from the initial you know, epitope that you used to immunize your exactly. rabbit. That's exactly, that's coming from the immunization. So that's right. the design of the experiment right at the beginning. Exactly. And then we determine that it's a true fossil mark mm -hmm. against the total. Yep. I mean, often we'll add in all the other validations on top. So we'll be doing with some block yes. at the same time. Again, flow. stripped, positive, yeah. negative, mm -hmm. flow, ICC, IP, etc. Which so is like great because it's very application specific. Like you'll tell us this antibody is very specifically good for this application or that application, not recommended for this application, which means you're getting the antibodies that you need for the application you're working on. Exactly. Yeah. But on top of that, wherever possible, I mean, we'll add in mouse and rat. So in the TMA, we have human, we have normal, and we've got mm -hmm. mouse and rat. We always do mouse and rat. That's yeah. a key species. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you know, we've got, obviously, in an I.O. area, the people working in, they're working in. Oh, my God, so many different organisms. And, but they're going to bounce into mouse because that's a, you know, a key development piece. And then they're going to go into human. In an ideal world, you want the same antibody. It just right. makes it easier. It's so much it. easier. Yeah. So if we know that it works, we mm -hmm. can at least state, yes, it does or no, it doesn't. I mean, mm -hmm. it's not just based on immunogen. Right. Going, well. But also defining that specificity can be important because you think about a mouse transgenic model, you actually need to have a human-specific version of like yeah. APP or something yeah. like that. You need to be able to tell the difference between that and the mouse native protein. So it's really great to get that exquisite specificity of the mouse and the rat and the humans so that you know you can make those modifications or pick those specific antibodies to attack those kind of questions as yeah. well. Yeah, that's true. Well, sometimes you want to know that it's definitely not specific. Right, exactly. Not specific. Sometimes exactly. you want to know it's definitely, definitely is. Is yes, specific. Exactly. So you, you, know, you, you can choose your experiment. You can mm -hmm. design your experiment the right way for what yeah. you're trying to do. And you know, we're generalists. We can't do everything. We, but right. we try and capture what we want to capture at the time. Absolutely. And so that's how we kind of go through all of that model of trying to make it you know, specific. Yeah. Um, and then when needs arise, and there, have, there are definitely occasions where we might go into a much bigger panel. So right. in certain occasions, we've gone into you know, 100plex, TMA, yep. we've added in you know, multiplex and, and other mm -hmm. pieces. Yep. Just to make sure that we're absolutely confident that you know we're getting the sensitivity. Because yeah. our markers are really tricky. So yeah. getting that sensitivity across a really wide panel gives us the, you know, this is the concentration you know, this is how we know it's the right one. You can really establish your limit of detection because you have those clear negatives. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. All those pieces just gives confidence to the customer that that antibody works. And, right. you know, confidence with you for our interactions. I mean, absolutely. It comes into your hands and you go, right, right now I'm, I need to do my I'm, stuff. Yeah, right. I'm working with great material up front, so I know I can just go right into our conjugation space and know that we have all this back-end validation data, we understand the specificity, now all we're doing is testing for sensitivity and multiplex within our assay parameters, right? Yeah. We're just trying to say, okay, we have our assay parameters for genomics, so speaking for our immuno-oncology proteome atlas, we know what our assay parameters need to be, we know what pH we need to work in, we know that we're working in FFP tissue predominantly, but we also work in fresh frozen. Mm -hmm. but we have all this great information coming up front, so then I get my list, I can say, ah, oh, Works, 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 works with high confidence. Mm -hmm. And the majority of the time, they screen just as good in our hands as they do in your hands. And what they do is usually just because we are working in a very specific set of assay parameters. And like, not every antibody loves those assay parameters. Some work better in pH 9 than pH 6. Yeah, yeah, so those true. are the ones that we screen out. No big deal. But it's great to have all this upfront data so that we really can make good choices in the beginning, have all the confidence in your specificity, and then just define the sensitivity within our assay, which is a slightly different readout than you have, right? You have your IHC we're looking at an NGS sequencing readout. So it's going to be a different measurement of sensitivity mm -hmm. than you're getting. 
Yeah, and what you I didn't mention, but what you know is we will triage and we'll work yes. through whether it's an EDTA or it's a sodium citrate, yeah. you know, and, and trying wherever possible. Mm-hmm. We're moving towards more EDTA because we know mm-hmm. the cells want to have that one hit. Yes. You know, you want to do one retrieval, right? Uh, and you know all your markers are going to exactly. come off of that, and that, exactly. that just really gives us the confidence. And it gives you confidence, especially in these FFPE tissues, which are so many clinical samples are coming in as FFPE. It's critical yeah. to work in that tissue. Yeah, and getting that retrieval right depending on, hopefully everybody's fixing it in a, in a really good, beautiful <laughs> manner. Yep. <laughs> it will work, just, it'll just work out of the box. It'll work Absolutely. out of the box of our, our cells and it'll work out of the box. Good clean you. tissue slices on the slide. Oh, works yeah. right out the box. Beautiful sequencing data coming off the back end. Hallelujah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> data. I mean, that's how we go around doing this stuff. And I'm, I'm really pleased it works. And what I really like about what you do is you, you add that extra layer on top. You do a lot of testing in your side to make sure that, you know, when we're looking, if you like, yeah. unconjugated naked antibodies, yes. we, we can take it only to a certain stage. Right. But you take it that extra level and you'll are confident that it's in your, it works in your own and we, re- and we replicate some of what you do, right? We're putting a DNA barcode onto the backbone of these antibodies, but then we're also going into TMAs and we're going into homogenous cell lines where we mm. know the proteomic profile of these cell lines from other orthogonal databases so then we're able to kind of replicate that long-term screening we just do it in the multiplex yeah. right and we're also testing you know phosphospecificity with phosphatasing you yeah. know our slides and checking the correlation between the two and so again it just adds to that confidence that we have both your screening data we have our screening data yours is a singleplex ours is a multiplex but we have all that confidence of the specificity and sensitivity that we're able to gain. Yeah, but you've got to do them both. I mean, yeah. that's the thing. It's all the cell lines. Cell lines are brilliant. Yeah. And they're, and but you need the TMAs line. too. You have, because it doesn't yeah. give you where the background exactly. levels are. So you're exactly. only getting that one thing as opposed to all the rest of the right. of the stroma, all the rest of, of the material that mm-hmm. can have a non-specific background. Or and all the different to... organs that you might be encountering, exactly. all the different yeah. tumor types you might be encountering. The cell lines are nice because we're able to use these orthogonal databases to know exactly what should be a yes, no, yes, no. Right? Yes. Yeah. Think of it kind of like those like uh, tests we used to take, a bubble in the right answer kind of yeah. thing is cool. If they're right. If okay. they're right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but we work with high confidence proteomic databases, <laughs> so I, I feel pretty confident there. But then you're right, we need the TMAs because that's what our that's what the customers are using, right? They're yeah. in their tissues. They're in their different tumor types. They're in their, you know, different organisms. And we have to make sure that everything works like it would work in their hands every single time right out the box. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's really important that when we receive these antibodies, especially as we're putting DNA barcodes onto them, that they're coming in a, a clean fashion, not aggregating, not, you know, precipitating out. How is Abkim making sure that we receive those antibodies in a ready-to-use format? Right. So, I mean, we've recently implemented a, a method of biophysical QC. And then that biophysical QC, we do... Three main things, but it really is about it's about identity. So we mm-hmm. use LCMS to try and make sure that we know it's a recombinant model yeah. clone, right? Yeah. We know what we're putting <laughs> in to those uh-huh. cells to kind of create the to create the antibody. We know what the heavy chain and light chain size is, and we can measure that. We right. know exactly what comes out in that setting, right? And then the two other things are impurity and aggregation. So we got a couple of ways of measuring aggregation. One using dynamic light scattering, mm-hmm. the other one actually just HPLC, which also measures purity. And we can use both of those to then see what kind of purity population have we got? Mm-hmm. And do we have an aggregate coming through that process? Are the antibodies binding to each other? Mm-hmm. And with the confidence that we still have all the application data at the end. Right. So we know the IAC is still working, but mm-hmm. we then we know exactly what is in the tube. We know it's exactly the right identity, it's the right antibody. And then they will come to you, you guys for your conjugation. Right. Again, you've got 
you know, you know what's in there, and you know you're not going to get some kind of weird conjugation. Right. And from so, our perspective, we purify our antibodies after conjugation so that we know we don't have a bunch of free DNA floating okay, around, yeah. and we also aren't having proteins aggregate on our hands. We use both a combination of, you know, chemical methodologies as well as filtration to make sure that we don't have any aggregates coming into our final product. Mm -hmm. um, and that way we know that when it goes onto the slide, you're not going to get any weird protein aggregates that are going to give you false positives. You're going to get a nice, clean you know, distribution of the antibodies across the surface. Yeah. And which leads to like another question that people seem to um, have a question about all the time, which is they say, well, how is it possible to put, you know, 580 antibodies or 570 antibodies on a slide and not have them knock each other off? And my response to that is, well, we're, we're, we're working on a, you know, pan-cancer atlas, right? And not every cell is going to have all of the antibodies on them. It's going to be yeah. a subset. So really what you're getting is in each individual cell, you're getting a subset of those antibodies, not everything all at once. And so we just don't really see those kind of crowding, you know, that people I think sometimes are fearful of. It just doesn't mm -hmm. seem to happen. Um, that's probably because we have, are hitting so many different cancer types and immune types that, you know, per tumor type, we get about, mm, out of our 570 panel, we get between 250 and 400 protein targets coming up, which means the antibodies are bound. And that seems very, very doable, especially if you're not using really high concentrations of antibodies, which we don't. And they're not all cell surface, they're not all nuclear, right. so they're all They're all over the place, yeah. Cells. So, you know, the, the likelihood of them being bound into the same kind of Unless they're literally on like I, neighboring yeah, epitopes. Exactly, yeah. in which case you might be doing it a different way. I mean, that's the thing. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't necessarily work that way. No. The only time I've ever observed it is when we, we've looked at a, a pan and a phosphate that literally on epitopes that overlapped with each other. And then, yeah, you can imagine why yeah. one's bumping the other off or, or preventing them from binding. But other than that, hmm. everything's actually just more space in the cell than I think people give it credit for. Yeah, yeah exactly. And yeah. they do mix well. I and mean, it's not like they're, they're specific antibodies. So they're not going to bind to this neighbor. There's no reason why we should get that kind of binding. And we make these things called you know, multiclonals, in which case mm -hmm. we're taking multiple recombinants all into the same tube. We don't suddenly find that the aggregation's any different. Right. They bind to each other. That yeah. doesn't happen. Yeah, you it have to get... happen in a polyclonal. No. Why would it happen in a multiclonal? Exactly. Why would it happen in your assay, which is a really big... Big area. <laughs> right. Big you actually have to concentrate protein down pretty far to actually start to either get aggregation or you actually you know, hindrance with each other. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And in our aggregation experiments, we've done, what, 80, no, 70% of our catalog mm -hmm. now has gone through biophysical QC. Our failure rate is at 0.8% for aggregation. They just don't aggregate. Yeah. Uh, right, which is great. It's great. It's yeah. exactly what you want. Exactly. It's perfect. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of the Spatial Navigator podcast brought to you by Nanostring. If you'd like to know about Nanostring products or contact us, please visit nanostring.com. You may also get in touch with us through LinkedIn, Instagram or Twitter, the links to which are in the description. Thank you.